guys. Welcome back to our teaching in the book of John. Now, the last time we were here, we were in verses 6 through 13, and there were there was the introduction of John the Baptist as he came to bear witness to the person of Christ. That is, the primary function of John the Baptist, once God had given him the revelation and identified who the Messiah was, it was his job to point out the Messiah, testify of him, bear witness of him to the people and therefore command them to follow after him. So we got that introduction of John uh, in the first section and basically it was using the terminology of one who comes to bear witness and then we had the continuing terminology of the light with reference to Jesus. Now you have to be mindful of all of the different references that we have been using with respect to Jesus uh, so far. We have called him the word. We have called him life, light. And so these references are important as John uses them interchangeably, depending on what he's talking about. But nevertheless, the reference remains the same. It speaks to Jesus. And this is what we're going to get directly into. But let's finish our review. So he talked about John's uh, point, his position in pointing to the light, pointing to Christ. And then it spoke briefly concerning Jesus once again and how that he came into his own creation and the rejection and negative reception that he received from his overall creation and the rejection that he received specifically from his own people namely the Jewish people. And then he finished and simply talked about the issue of salvation uh, with respect to Jesus. And that's where we spent the majority of our time in the last video, in that all of those who did believe in him were granted life, that is, life to be in the eternal presence of God the Father. Salvation, that is the very issue and principle of salvation to be in the eternal presence of God the Father. So all who would believe in him would be granted this wonderful, precious gift by him. And this uh, talked about this salvation nature or this believing in him did not come from. OK, let me settle this part again. This believing in him, this ability, the ability, the source of where the belief in him come from, comes from, what motivates this belief, what causes this belief in Jesus that leads to salvation. This was the very essence of the last verse, 13, born again, same synonymous with belief. What causes this belief or faith in Jesus leading to salvation to the eternal presence of God? They were not. This belief was not because of relationship. What family a person belonged to, what group, what race, not of bloods. Then it was not even the individual's will, him or herself, not the will of the flesh. Then he even said again, nor the will of of any man. No other person could wish this or desire this and make this happen for you. But only this can happen because of God. So therefore, it talked about in the end, the very root and origin of faith in Jesus, such a faith in Jesus leads to salvation. Where is the root of salvation? the root of faith, what causes it, what brings it about, whose will is it? Is it the individual? Is it the family you come from? Or is it someone else? The answer is no. It is the will of God for an individual to come to faith in Jesus Christ and therefore be saved. Hence, John lays the very principle 
found throughout scripture. Salvation is of the Lord alone. Okay, so with that, we're going to cut that short and make it brief. Now we're going to get into the next section in verses 14 through 18. And I'm quite sure you guys have noticed briefly. I'm covering just a few verses because of the importance of these verses. The principle the 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 important principles that are found in these few verses. And we don't want to just go go too fast just to cover a bunch of material. OK, so this will also be another shortened segment that we're going to cover, but it's going to get to the very climax of John's gospel. In other words, John's reason for writing that God became a man. That is the nature of Jesus of Nazareth, who is a man, is God. He is God eternally, but he is that eternal God who took upon himself human flesh for an expressed purpose. That expressed purpose simply is to accomplish the salvation will of the Father. Okay, as, as a matter of fact, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pause right there to give you guys some information. Maybe sometimes we never really think about it, but everything derives from the person of God, from the qualities, the characteristic, the very nature of God himself, the nature of God. And one of those principal characteristics of God's nature is holy. And we see that in Isaiah chapter six, when the seraphim cried out, what? Holy, holy, holy. And that was a three time call to speak of the absolute nature of God's holy, his holiness is beyond. Okay. But anyway, so God is holy. Nevertheless, God has a will and a desire. One of God's will and his desires is for his creation, specifically those, the elect, those chosen out of the human race, those chosen out of the human race to be with him for all eternity. He has intently placed his love upon a certain group in humanity that is a specific group. This is why we call them the elect of God. Elect means what? Chosen of God. Or even as our Lord Jesus has said, many are what? Called, but what? Only a few will be chosen. So, the elect, those chosen unto salvation by God in eternity past. That's why, and I don't have time to talk about it. Maybe we'll make a little very short discussion about it on a video later on. That's why when the Bible speak of the elect and chosen of God, it calls them, it says concerning them that their names were written in the Lamb's book of life. Notice when the names were written. So pause and absorb every word I'm saying here. Their names were written from the foundation of the world. That simply means when God spoke the world into existence, he had written down the names of those he had chosen to be saved. That is the elect. And this goes to what I was talking about at the end of last week's video. So if you didn't see last week's video, and I know some of you got a lot of questions about it, a lot, a little bit disturbed about it, but it all is true in the script. It all comes together. But anyway, let me stay on track. From the foundation of the world. So these ones whom God have chosen, he has set his will that they should be with him. He, this is what I was talking about when he has set his love upon them. This does not mean God doesn't love other things. God can love his whole creation, but there is a specific and a unique love that he has for those whom he have chosen. Notice how the scripture says, what uh, 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 Isaac have I chosen, but I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Jacob have I chosen. Jacob have I loved, but what Esau have I hated? 
unelected. J Jacob, what? The elected one. Esau, what? The unelected one. But the idea simply is God sets his love and desire upon whom he chooses. Again, what does Moses say is he has mercy on whom he chooses. It's his choice. That's why we said in the first part, dealing with all these other things, salvation is God's choice. Whom will be saved is God. Okay, enough because I'm rambling. So with those of the elect that God has set his affection upon, okay, let's go just walk through all of the history. We know what happened. They are of the human race. What happens? Adam sins, father of all humanity. Sin is upon all, therefore making all have joined in the sin of Adam. Therefore, the elect are what? The elect are part of sin for humanity. Being a part of sin for humanity, having a derived sinful nature from Adam. That is, we all inherit the nature of our father, Adam. Once Adam fell into sin, sin was born into the nature of man. And therefore, every human being that followed in inherited this sin nature. And therefore, it is because of this sin nature, he sins. You got it? We don't sin to get the sinful nature. We sin because we have a, a sinful nature. So now we are creatures, the elect of God, those whom he have chosen. We have sinned, but God has determined that he that he desires for us to be with him for all eternity. His holy nature will not allow the presence of sin at all. So therefore, sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to be dealt with. And the only someone to give a resolution to how to deal with sin is God alone. You can't tell God, okay, this is acceptable to you for my sin. God has to be the one to declare what is acceptable to him to answer for sin. Therefore, what? We have the plan of redemption. And remember, the whole thing speaks of what God alone does. So what takes place? God the Father sins. We already know. You know, I've heard some people say there was a meeting in heaven. I guess you can kind of say it that way. Where God the Son would come into this world in human form. God would take the form of a man. And therefore, having the flesh and body of a man... He could satisfy the judgment of God. That is, in order for man to be with God, the elect to be with God, his sins had to be removed and the judgment of God had to be satisfied. Number one, what is the wages of sin? This is the judgment of God. The wages of sin is death. So therefore what? Jesus satisfied the penalty, the judgment of God for our sins. That's what we talk about the substitutionary place of Jesus by dying on that cross. So in Jesus satisfying our penalty, he was also able to give what to us? Life. And this life came when he himself rose from the dead. So now we have Jesus, the substitution for man's sin. He pays for man's sins. The judgment of God is now satisfied. Therefore, by being, having faith in Christ Jesus, the sinfulness of the elect are completely removed in Christ Jesus we have no sin at all. So therefore, the righteous judgment of God is satisfied and also his holiness is satisfied because what? We also received his righteousness. This is what we call what again? Imputed righteousness. That is righteousness counted to you because you believe in Jesus, the things about Jesus, son of God, and that he came in human form. He died for our sins and he rose from the dead. By faith, you believe in these things and therefore the righteousness of Jesus is 
accounted to us. It's as if it's our righteousness. This comes from the very uh, beginning of all things when we see the principle stated for Abraham. Genesis 15 and 6, and Abraham, what? Believed God. And what did God do? God counted his faith, not what he did, not how he lived, but his faith as righteousness. Same thing for us. And we believe God the Father in sending his son. And what does he do? He counts our faith in his son as righteousness. This is the plan of God. So notice we have two participants. We have God the Father in his overall plan of salvation. We already remember now God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are as one. There is no difference in them. They don't disagree, but they do play different roles, roles in salvation. So we have God the Father, one in his plan overall for salvation and taking care of the, the judgment and that making man holy in order that man might be with him. We have God the Son taking flesh to accomplish this will. And this is basically the, the overall nutshell of the whole thing. And in, in this, we can see the need of Jesus becoming flesh. But another point too, who are the actors? Who are the participants who accomplish these things? God the Father and God the Son. Now, God the Holy Spirit also plays a role too because it was what? He makes us born again. He brings us into faith in Jesus. He causes us to have faith in Jesus. He keeps us in the body of Jesus. He equips us to do the thing. So God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit plays a role. But only here, I'm talking about Father and Son. All right. So God, the Son, those are two participants that we see here. God, the Father and God, the Son. The whole idea is this. Notice who alone accomplished our salvation. God. God is the author and finisher of our salvation. Salvation is of the Lord, from the Lord, unto the Lord. Only God can save. So therefore, if Jesus was not God, guess what? He can't save. He can't satisfy those holy requirements that only God, that God would accept. You can't do it. And no other creature, nothing else, nothing, nothing else, has the power, the being, and all of that to do so. But okay, that's enough of that. I went on a big tangent, a huge, but I hope you guys appreciated it. So all I want you to really see is this, that Jesus, as a member of the Godhead, accomplished the will of the father in satisfying God's holy judgment in order that God's will, what will I want a select part of humanity to be with me, but as they will and even presently or whatever exist, that is sin is involved. They're not ready. The only someone to remove their sins is you, my son, the son of God. Okay, enough of that tangent. So what did we do? We did a review of what we talked about last week. Bump, done. Then we went on this other tangent <laughs> and talking about things that we should not. Okay, bump, done with all of that. But I think you should think about that because it, it'll really help you to understand what is the purpose of all of this and why did it have to be this way and why did it have to be this person that is Jesus and why, why, why. So I hope that'll part of help you. So let's move on. Like I said, we had a few verses that we want to cover. I was intending for this to be a short video. Uh, I might have just messed that up, but let's go. Verse number six, there came a man sent from, I'm sorry, verse number 14, a little too excited. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so now, now John is, is he's bringing it all back. Remember what he's been talking about. The first thing he stated was in the first section, the first group of the, the, the context of passages, verses what, one through five, the nature of Jesus. And his whole point was Jesus 
is a divine being. Jesus is God. That's why verse number one is principle and so important. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So what is the word? God. It, it is God by, I'm sorry, he is God by nature. Everything that God the Father is in every way, so is the word. And then he talked about certain attributes of the word being life and things of that nature. Okay. Then he moved into the next section where he talked about the witness of John. That is, as he's preparing for the word to enter into this world. Remember how he began to call him life and then light. And we talked about that re reason for calling him light. It speaks of his purpose to light or give light to every man. What light? The light of salvation, the knowledge of God to provide a pathway unto the father. And that pathway will be himself believing on him who he is, what he has done, okay? Light, that terminology was being used, talked about in, in John, right? And so then he continued to talk about him coming into the world, the world's rejection, but those who do believe in him, they have life, that purpose that he talked about. Now, from going all the way back to verse number one, the word of God, the word is God, he now gets to his ultimate point. And this is the, uh, the, 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 well, I don't want to call it the proto-climax, but this begins a some sense of a climax in John's gospel because it is the ultimate point that he is trying to prove. Remember, Jesus is God, right? Jesus is God. The word is God. What happens? The word becomes flesh. That is, the word now becomes a man. God becomes a man. And we know that man to be Jesus of Nazareth. So here is the ultimate statement that God has now become man. And John has already briefly talked about, remember, that's why it's so important to look at what he calls him, life and light and things of that nature. Light being purpose. God has become a man, but he has not simply come a man or, and I like the way Dr. James White, maybe that'll help somebody out there, speaks of it. God has not only entered into his creation, he has entered in his, into his creation with a purpose. And that purpose is to accomplish salvation, but we're not there yet. But the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, God has become a man and then dwelt among us. Now, that word they use for great, for dwelt in the Greek, eskenosane. Esken, yeah, that's the word. Eskenosane. Uh, skenao. That's, it comes from the Greek, skenao, which means to dwell. It literally means to tabernacle. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but the word became flesh and tabernacle. It is John is purposely directing the thoughts of the reader to the tabernacle that Moses erected in the wilderness. So as we read it, the word became flesh and dwelt with us. We can even read it in the most literal sense to say, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And God became flesh and tabernacle amongst us. And remember what God said to Moses in the book of Exodus, build this tent that I might dwell amongst them. I want to dwell among you. So that's the same idea. That's why we understand and that and many, many, many other reasons why the why the tabernacle of Moses was nothing more than a representation of Jesus. It spoke of his person and it spoke of the things that he would do. Anyway, uh, for your uh, uh, information, 
I did a study. I was, I'm even literally working on the teaching of Exodus right now, but I've already covered a good amount of this material concerning the tabernacle. So I've already done a substantial, I don't know exactly where I stopped in Exodus, but a lot of that concerning the tabernacle is already on uh, my YouTube channel. So go and check it out, guys. It'll help you out a lot. And you'll see the beauty of how this reflects in this verse. Dwelt among us. Tabernacled among us. Jesus among Jesus, the God-man, dwelling among men. The tabernacle in the wilderness dwelling amongst the children of Israel. Men. But anyway, so he dwelt among us and we saw his glory, the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And what did they see? They said, John said, we saw his glory. We saw the glory of Jesus speaking of his life, his character, his nature, those things that they were able to perceive by uh, the Holy Spirit help concerning Jesus. And when he saw Jesus and as he reflects on how his time was with Jesus, what he saw and learned of the person of Jesus, he said, or simply calls it here, the glory of Jesus. And once again, we are continuing the, the mindset of the tabernacle in the wilderness, because that's the very idea of the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, that is in the most holy place, what will, what will therefore shine the glory of God? The glory of God was manifested from the holy place of the most holy place of the tabernacle in the wilderness. It, it just simply keeps showing the sim, sim, similarity <laughs> of thought. Tabernacle in the wilderness under Moses, Jesus and the glory that they saw as he dwelt with them, okay? And remember, this idea here will come up again concerning Moses and that type of a thing, but not right now. So they saw, they saw his glory, the glory of, it was the glory of the only begotten of the Father, the a uniquely begotten one of the Father. And basically the idea here is there was no other like him. And the idea even goes as far to say, None other being in creation like him, one uniquely begotten of the father. OK, even though he was flesh like all other men, he was a human being because remember, now, the word became flesh. But still, even so, none other like him, no other person, nothing in creation like him. All right. But anyway. Full of grace and truth. Okay, and now here when he talks about the full of grace and truth, he embodies the very fullness of all grace. Now, when you think of grace and, and oh, guys, you can just really just go on and on and on and on and on. Grace, that which is undeserved. That's number one. But this grace comes from God. You got it? And in this grace, that undeserved thing that comes from God, there is such giftedness, such giftedness. That is, God bestows such blessing, such blessing, a blessing that is unwarranted. In Christ Jesus is the fullness of of all of God's blessing, an unwarranted blessing, a blessing you and I do not deserve, full of grace and what? Truth, because truth is so important. Truth is setting forth the knowledge of God, setting forth the right path of God, setting forth the ways of God. The fullness of all of these things were manifested by, were encapsulated in the person of Jesus himself. Yes, even in his flesh, because what are we hampering on here? The word was made flesh. 
We saw glory. We, we saw the fullness of God's grace and the fullness of God's truth when you looked at him again. Can we do it again, guys? What did Philip say? Show us the father and that will suffice us. And how did Jesus respond? Have I been with you for so long and yet you're without understanding that when you see me, you got it all. You see the father. Okay. And so that's the idea that we can see operating here. So now the whole issue is verse 14, God has now become man. And as we said earlier, he is man who has a purpose, such a purpose as we work through the gospel and understand all of these things is to accomplish the father's will of salvation in bringing an elect people unto him. Okay. So now we're done with that. Let's just go to verse 15. Now, John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. So now we are back to John the Baptist. And we already talked about John the Baptist in the previous video, how that God sent and prepared John the Baptist to prepare the way for the Messiah. And as John himself, that is John, the writer of John, John the apostle, talked about John as being a witness to the light. That is to call all men to Jesus that they may believe in him to be saved. OK, so John is now he's he's now turning back. John, the apostle writing here in Gospel of John to his concentration on John the Baptist in saying how John was testifying about him. This is in the present tense. He testified over and over and over. He testified about him. This was he of whom I said. That is the pointing out of Jesus. John's function was to do what? Point out the Messiah once God revealed him to him. So here's John what? Pointing him out, pointing Jesus out, the one who is now made flesh. And remember, Jesus is John's cousin and things of that nature. We can read all about that in the Synoptic Gospels, okay? Gospel of Luke, if you want to get a good spot. Of whom I said, he who comes after me. He and the reason why he said he comes after him is simply because, John, uh, first of all, John was born six months ahead, ahead of time, before Jesus. John was born six months before Jesus, and John's ministry began before Jesus. Because remember, it was John the Baptist who baptized Jesus in the Jordan. And when Jesus was baptized by John and being tempted by the Holy Spirit, after that, he began his ministry. So John's ministry began before Jesus's ministry. And that's, that's what he said. He who comes after me, Jesus followed after John. But then he says, has a higher rank than I. Let's bring the next statement in. For he existed before me. So now he says, even though he comes after me, he is not subordinate to me. He has a higher rank than me. He has greater authority than me. And John simply says, and the reason why he is greater than I am is by the very nature of his existence. Remember, going all the way back to John 1 and 1. In the beginning, the word existed and then the word became flesh. So therefore, Jesus, even before he became the man, Jesus was simply, as we discussed in the first section, God. He was not existing in eternity past as Jesus. He existed in the eternity past as God. God. OK, once he took on flesh he took the name Jesus, or should we even say, and God sent the angel to tell Mary, told Joseph too, and you will call his name Jesus. And then that's the name that he took. But anyway, so what is John trying to say here? John is simply saying, uh, duh, quite naturally, he's greater than me because he existed before I did. He existed in eternity past. He is God. 
And quite naturally, God is greater than any man. So therefore, such a, so is this one. He's greater than me. Verse 16. For of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Let's go through 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Okay, so then now he keeps on talking about the person of Jesus, all right? Testifying. And what is the testimony? Of his fullness we have received. And that's important. All of God's gifts, all of God's intentions of grace. You see it now? What I was hooping on just a second ago about the gracious gifts of the Father. What God has in the beauty of all of that, the blessedness of all of that. It is given, my mind, I want to say transmitted. It is given through God the Son, through Him and Him alone we receive these things. That's why it's always important for us to remember without Jesus, you have nothing. You have no life, you have no hope, you are in darkness and Darkness, death, with spiritual eternal death awaiting you. God has chosen to give all of the fullness of everything that he will give, the blessedness, through this one alone. So of his fullness, because he has, that is his, his in reference to Jesus, in reference to Jesus, he has the fullness of all that God has. He is therefore able to give it to whom? Those who believe and accept him. Kind of takes us back to the previous teaching, right? We have all received, notice, grace upon grace. And that's nothing more, than, it's just a way of simply saying the, full, in the fullness of grace that Jesus has, he is able to give unto us the fullness of grace. Grace upon grace. We can get and we can have it all. Let me stop there briefly and let you know these things. There is nothing more for you to receive from Christ in this sense. In this sense, once you believe. When you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I believe that he is God eternal from the beginning. I believe. See, this is what John is teaching. This is what he's saying. You, you can't argue with it. If you want to argue with it, just simply argue with the scriptures. I believe that he is God who became a man. The man, the God man who has a purpose, the purpose of salvation. To accomplish the will of God the Father. What was the will? To save the elect of God. How do you do that? Dying on the cross, resurrection from the dead. I believe these things. And there is a measure of grace given unto the saints. And even so, I'm sorry, I even say there, the fullness of God's grace that is given unto the saints by faith. God grants you Every spiritual gift, and when I say spiritual gift, I'm not talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the merit, the, the unlimited nature of his goodness in Christ Jesus is granted unto you simply by faith. There's nothing more to be added. In him, you are full. In him, you are complete. You lack nothing. Okay, okay, I was not supposed to go there, but all of this is throughout the scriptures, especially as you can see it in the teachings of Paul. That's why the Bible teaches in him, we are complete. There is nothing else. There's, that's why I went on that little tangent, that fullness of grace. No need of you praying for this or praying for that in that sense, in that sense. No, 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 no. You have it already. All right. Pray for something else. But as far as the grace, the ability, what did Peter say? God has given, he has imparted to us the divine nature, giving us what? All that we need even to live a life of godliness. Everything. 
fullness of grace. Okay, I spent too much time on that. But that's what John is doing. Notice how he keeps talking about grace, 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 grace. Even what? Fullness of grace, fullness of grace. Everything in him. Everything therefore granted to those who believe in him. For the law was given through Moses. And now it talks about that not so much as the different systems, but it talks about what? The idea. Notice what he keeps pushing completion and fullness. That's what he's been talking about. Completion and fullness. In the law, the law was not complete. Not the law of Moses itself, but the law was not the completion or the fullness of God's grace. It displayed partiality. And we can see that as Paul himself, book of Romans, book of Galatians, talks about the law, the reasons for the law, the purposes for the law, and how the law was a schoolmaster, how the law was a tutor, how the law was intended by God to be temporary so that when the fullness of time should come, God sent forth his son made under, made uh, through a woman by a woman made under the law to redeem those who are under the law in the fullness of time. So Christ comes in the fullness. So therefore what? Once the maturity time comes, there is no need of a tutor. There is no need of the law. So it shows what? Even though God through Moses gave a wonderful thing, a partiality, an expression of his grace. The law of Moses was an expression of grace. It was not the fullness of grace. The fullness of grace would not be through Moses. It would be through his son. You see it now? There's a sense of comparativeness, not the fullness in Moses, the law, but the fullness in Christ through the which we have what? The law of Christ. Or oh, we just simply understand it in a general sense, the uh, commandments and, uh, 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 and orders of Jesus in the New Testament. That's how we understand it now. But anyway, anyway, anyway. So the law is given through Moses, grace and truth. Notice for Christ is both called what? The fullness of grace. He, he possesses grace. He dispenses grace. God dispenses it through him. He is also called the truth. Grace and truth. And this simply means this. The ultimate expression. The law, beautiful, wonderful. What did Paul say? For the law is good. But here, what is John saying? That was simply a partial that was not God's full expression, his full expression of grace and truth. The law had many truths concerning God, but the fullness of that is communicated by Jesus, our Lord. It is even he himself. He himself is that thing. All right. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. All right. 18 final verse. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the father, he has explained him. And so now he deals with another person. What? No, another purpose. I'm sorry. That is the purpose of making the father known. And this will be another major theme in John. Jesus makes the father known. Okay. Again, 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 Philip said to him, what? Show us God, the father, show us the father and it'll make us happy. Jesus said, don't you know, seeing me is seeing God. He makes God known. So, but anyway, let's go back to the text. No one has seen God at any time. So the reference here clearly is God, the father. Okay. God, the father, he's not talking about God, the son, because he's going to talk about a purpose of God, the son, but God, the son, who now is a man flesh and dwelling amongst men. No one has ever seen God, the father. That is two. That is true in two uh, ways to understand it. Number one, 
No human being has ever seen God the Father. And I don't want to get into a lot of details about it, but those theophanies that we have in Old Testament, theophany simply means an, an epiphany, an expression of God in some form. Okay, And the Lord appeared, say for instance, to Jacob, and we know that the Lord wrestled with Jacob. This was not an angel because what? Jacob himself said, I have seen God face to face and my life was preserved. Therefore, Jacob named the place where he wrestled with the so-called angel Peniel. Peniel literally means face of God. It was always believed to have any type of theophany, seeing of God, you would die. This was never. All theophanies of the Old Testament are the, is the second person of the divine trinity. It is Jesus taking on some form or another. No man has ever seen God the Father. So that's true, okay? But the context here is not so much on beholding God the Father with the eye, but having a complete understanding of God the Father. Because notice the whole idea that we've been talking about with Jesus, his purpose and function is of him having the fullness, he brings the fullness. He brings the understanding. He is able to give what no other one has. Now we're going to talk about what? The knowledge of the Father. By him, Jesus, being who he is, knowing what he knows, he is able to communicate that which no other creature knows. And once again, who is Jesus? He is the word. And what? John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was God. He, Jesus, is God. And therefore, by being God, he shares a principle. I'm sorry. He shares in the being of God. God Father, God Son, God the Holy Spirit. He can make known about God the Father what no other creature, and Jesus is not a creature, but what no other person can make known about God the Father. So no one has ever completely understood God the Father. You see it now? The knowledge of the person of God the Father. Again, go back to Philip and Jesus. Notice, notice, have I been with you? You've seen me. You've heard my teaching. You've seen my conduct. Ah, that is an expression of the person of God. That's who God is. No one has never understood God. The fullness of what God would have us to understand about him. We never got it. The only begotten God. Now that takes into, it incorporates everything that I was saying about Jesus. Only God can make certain things known. So therefore what? The second person of the divine trinity, the second person, Jesus, the son of God, he is able to make the father known. Why? He shares the knowledge of the father. He shares the being of the father. He is God too. And therefore, because he is God, he can make God known the only begotten who is in the bosom of the father relationship of closeness. He has explained him. Jesus made the father known because as God, the father is God. Jesus is God. He has explained him. And that word explain is that Greek word exegesata. Exegesata, which literally uh, exegeoma. And we ain't gonna worry about all the Greek today. But it is from this word, exegeoma, that we get the idea of exegete, exegete. And you hear that a lot of times, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much certain you should, uh, when it comes to biblical teaching, exegesis. And what does the exegesis mean? Exegesis means to do exactly what I do. Take the scriptures and explain them. Explain it carefully. Look at the root of things, the history of things, blah, 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 blah. It is in a didactic way of teaching and giving explanation. Exegete. And that's what it literally, that's the root of what it says. What? 
Jesus exegetes the Father. He fully explains God the Father. God the Son took flesh in order that he may fully explain the Father. Because what? No man ever really knew the Father. Only the Son, who is God, is qualified to do so, knowledgeable to do so. All right, let's stop there. The video went a whole lot further than what my intentions were. But anyway, so now, now this uh, uh, verses 1 through 18 is what is normally called the prologue of John, okay? So like the opening of John. By the time we get to roughly around chapter 20, we're going to get the close, but we're not there yet, so I'm not going to even talk about it yet. But this is the prologue of John where John sets forth his, uh, he, he calls, he, he lets us know the person of Jesus, that he is God, and then he begins to set forth also one of the purposes of Jesus, two of the purposes, primary purposes of Jesus, to provide salvation for mankind and, as verse 4, 18 says, to tell us about God the Father, to exegete God the Father. Okay, I enjoyed that as I always do. Thank you guys for joining me. I know there are some things that can be confusing from last video, but stay with me, stay with me as we continue to work through the Gospel of John. I am more than sure that you will find it a most delightful book as it is mine. And even in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John is my favorite Gospels as we see the power of John when he talks about the person of Jesus. He did not simply walk upon the earth as a man. He is God who took flesh and walked on the earth. All right, guys. See you next time.